Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hey everybody, welcome to Going Off Track from Rubber Track Studios in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. My name is Steven, his name is Jonah, his name is Brad, the other guy is Mike. Where's Mike? Where's Mike? Where's Mike? Mike. That's Mike. our thing. Mike. We're going to call his segment Mike's Moments, we'll now call it Where's Mike? And we should call him every time and be like, I'm at work, dudes, what the, what the fudge? Mike. Mike. <laughs> <laughs> um, All right. Let's do it. Today we have Mr. Jeff Jeffrey Rickley. Mike. From <laughs> Jeff Rickley, uh, singer for Thursday. Um, the amazing and amazing incomparable band. United Nations. Yes, plays in United Nations. That guitar player is sick. He's yes. got, and he's he, cute too. He's got some tasty licks. Isn't Thank that what guys. they say? But um, I've been wanting to have Jeff on the podcast since we started because he... One of my best friends, but also it's had a huge impact on my life as far as signing my bands, being in bands with me. I feel like no one would care about anything I've ever done musically if Jeff hadn't kind of gotten behind it. We also knew it would take this long for him to yes. get back to us. Yes, and I, yeah, and I knew it would take a little while because Jeff is a busy guy and yeah, doing, often has doing, a full voice mailbox. He's doing uh, s- uh, solo stuff at the moment. He solo just stuff a, is awesome. Did a warp tour. Yes, did a warp tour, which had a bus accident but yeah. he's okay which we get into we will discuss we will discuss and the bus jeff always has a lot of interesting stuff going on super just, literary I'm, super smart dude i've only learned recently and we will learn more how integral he was to the scene you know a lot of bands in that time period of you know the the early aughts you know of do jeff before thursday and he talks extensively about it. And I think a lot of that is because you don't know that because he's not a scene star. Like, I feel like his intentions were always about the music. I don't think it was about him. So I feel like he's not one of those guys who's like, I know this guy, I know this guy. Like, you should come play my house. He's It'll be cool. He's a like, community-minded person. Yeah, for sure. Which I don't know if you guys had this experience, but growing up and listening to punk in D.C., where I grew up, and I was by no means cool in the slightest because my friends knew where the fugazi shows were i was always just you know sitting around a park waiting for them to show up in the uh, waiting room if you will friends. in the waiting room <laughs> both <laughs> waiting for them trying to buy some merchandise putting down a bulldog front this could go on we should have an all fugazi podcast we should get fugazi in here that that could happen it could happen we know enough of them through people um but in dc like it was very one one if you were in like the dc punk scene you liked dc punk bands but it was very community-minded like if you went to see a band play you went to you know a church you know to a basement and there was always you know someone selling vegan cookies for the local animal shelter you know that kind of thing which is a very college thing to do that uh you know now petco does not as well but I don't know. It, it seems like that. And then in, you find as you grow up that everywhere had those scenes, you know? Right. Cleveland? Yeah. I mean, not, you know, I don't think the same caliber of bands kind of came out, but I mean, those bands existed for sure. Now, when you were in, Brad, when, you know, growing up and also playing in those kind of scenes, when the groups would tour and do stuff, did you end up doing that? Was it a lot of, you know, oh, we're going to play this BFW hall? And It was some of that for sure, mainly because. You know, we had Stormy Shepherd as our booking agent, so she was really cognitive, like cognizant. I mean, of, like, <laughs> and cognitive. 
of like that kind of scene. Maybe precognitive if she knew. Yeah, that was really fun. I didn't even use that word. I'm like, I'm just, I'm half asleep right now. <laughs> but, Why uh, up late? But you know, one thing about Cleveland that I really liked was that I didn't get as much of that from Cleveland. Yeah. Cleveland, and I hate to s- no, dude, use the term, was look- Cleveland rock. Like when we, it seemed like Cleveland was not so much about any particular scene. Like people just wanted to come out and have a good time and not in like, not in like, uh, frat boy kind of way but just like it was like the shows because we played with lots of different kinds of bands would you play the euclid tavern and those yeah the euclid and like we played the big what's the big theater agora oh dude which we really we literally had places close we had a hello cleveland moment in the agora theater oh yeah yeah should i should i tell this story i think you have to yes yeah totally so spinal tap i'm referencing obviously which um, so the Agora had two theaters. It had the, the big giant the one, which is like and the theater, yeah, pretty substantial capacity. Um, I they have Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Maybe there. a couple oh, no, thousand, a couple thousand. Let's say two thousand. And then the small theater was right across, like the hall from it, yep. which was I don't know what, like maybe four hundred or something. Yeah, Sounds I don't right. remember who we were playing with. We might have actually been headlining this one, but it was the first time we'd played there. And You're in which room? We were in the small theater. Okay, and so. <laughs> After we sound checked, we're like, okay, we got to go to, where's the dressing rooms? And the guy, you know, the sound man was like, okay, go across the hallway and you're going to go into the big theater and then you got to go left. And he gave us all these directions and like. Was it Bo Diddley who gave you the directions? Literally each had to, no, unfortunately. We each had to actually remember part of them. They were that complicated. And I'm not even kidding you. Like we got lost. We got lost because the dressing rooms that he was sending us to were actually the dressing rooms for the main theater. So we had to like go in and go up a stairwell and then yeah, kind of go a... around the balcony and then go behind the stage. Yeah. And at one point we were literally in a hallway that looked like the hallway in Spinal Tap going, oh, we were all saying it. <laughs> Hello, Cleveland! <laughs> and you, didn't, you do not want to get lost outside the Agora. No. Because downtown Cleveland, yeah. East 55th is not, was not where you want to be. Why is it so sketchy there? Just that club was in a really bad neighborhood. It was like mm. you'd you'd park to park in the street, and then walking to the venue was like a game. Because like you'd park, and some guy would be like, "I'll watch your car for five bucks." And they're like, <laughs> "I'm gonna give this guy five bucks because he knows where my car is, and he knows I'm gonna be in this place for two hours." Why the fuck are venues rock, like like rock venues always in shitty areas? And you'd have to go see the band you'd love to see and fight death. And if you're in high school, you would have to lie to your parents. It's like, where are you going? I'm going to the movies. But the, 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 well, the opposite end of that was we actually played with Rancid down by the waterfront. And Nautica, probably. It's right, it was right near the, the Cleveland Brown Stadium. Peabody's. Yeah. We played Peabody's. And, like, I, I remember we were, like, at one point, like, I, I came by the front door and, and Lint was, like, he's, like, dude, can you walk out to the van with me? I got to get something out of it. And I'm, like, what's the problem? And I look out and there's, like, all these Cleveland Browns fans, like, parading up yeah. and down like they had just won a game and like it looked fright for a guy with like a mohawk and like i think i had purple hair at the time we were both like we're not going out there man <laughs> brad just did the most credible yes, thing yes he did i heard I've it too ever heard i heard it do. too i was gonna comment on it i'm so Calling glad you are fucking tim armstrong lint just like lint yeah because <laughs> that's like operation ivy era tim oh. armstrong like that is so incredible <laughs> we're so nerdy we i both- know <laughs> let's start this podcast because this is just Ladies and gentlemen, the best dude ever, Jeff Rickley. It's going on um, Everyone we'll knows Jeff from, um, from Thursday. Oh, yeah. From United Nations, from his own his damn solo self. work. So, solo work. It's such a weird thing to add. Yeah, it's so, true, though. Yeah, it is. By yourself. How does that feel? It's horrifying. <laughs> it's the most... It's. I've never been so nervous. Like, I made this joke uh, at the very first one of those that I did that usually I have the six best musicians behind me, or five best musicians behind me in the world, and now I have just a bottle of Valium behind me, and that's, like, all that's backing me up. Um, It's kind of true because the first song that I ever played in front of people, which is so weird that after, like, a 15-year music career with Thursday, I actually was like, this is the first song I've ever played in front of people and meant it. Like, this is the first time I've ever been alone in front of people with a guitar. And, uh, yeah, it was like, I couldn't stop my foot from shaking so bad that I couldn't keep the beat of the song. Like, it was just on the stool, like, freaking out and going crazy. Yeah. No, I can't. 
it's like you know the band thing it's like the three musketeers all for one one for all it's totally like, don't even think about it i kind of think i could do a solo thing man it's i think that's awesome that <laughs> after years of no like like in a touching way after years of being you know this like preeminent front man you know after i remember the first time i saw thursday it was mm. what the hell like Damn, like it was phenomenal. <laughs> Thanks, man. And it was uh, headlining. I saw Planes Mistaken for Stars, mm. uh, One Line Drawing, From Autumn to Ashes, then You. Mm. I, 2002, I just moved to New York. It is the 2002, show. yeah, I remember that it's really an well. Amazing show. To go from that to shows and you know people worshiping Thursday and, and you being out there being the guy to now saying, scared out of my mind. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah. It's cute. Yeah, it's adorable right now. Um, <laughs> You know, it's really funny, like, um, do you know do you know the Circus Survive guys at all? Colin, mm-hmm. the guitar player of Circus yes. Survive and I, um, we get kinda you know, we get kind of into like hippie weirdo stuff together. And one of the things that we were talking about is uh they've discovered in neuroscience that there's a phenomenon that's nicknamed the OK plateaus. When you get really good at something and you don't have to try anymore, your brain starts shutting down its learning centers and you actually like drop like five or 10% of how well you do everything in your life. Not just the thing that you're good at, but like you're just not as good with anything you do. You're not as good a reader. You're not as good at when your brain's not in the learning mode, it shuts down a little bit and it just coasts. So we were like talking about always trying to find one thing in our lives that we were bad at and pursue it wholeheartedly so that at least everything else you're going to be a little bit better at. Um, And that's kind of like... That was sort of the exciting thing about doing some solo stuff was that I knew I wasn't coasting, you know, because honestly, by the end of Thursday, I could really do it without thinking. Like I would sometimes be in the middle of a song trying to figure out what song it was and my mouth would be going and the words in the, uh, and I'd be like, what song is this? Like what record? I don't even remember what, like who wrote this? And I'd be thinking all these things while my body was like there playing a Thursday show. But I'd be like, and the next line's going to come out and it would come out and I'd be like, what's the next line? I have no idea what the next line is and it would just come out. And I'd like get into this thing where I'd be like talking to myself inside my head while my body was playing. So obviously it was like I've totally experienced com- that exact same thing. Right, it's really bizarre. I've never heard anybody else talk about it though. It's, it's crazy. It's a weird feeling. Yeah, yeah. Because you're like, I couldn't guess what the next line is, but there it is. Yeah, you know? yeah. So a buddy of mine who's uh, been producing and editing stuff for years and dealing with bands, he has a great question, which he would ask an artist, musician, anybody in the band, mm-hmm. uh, not just the singer, whoever, and be like, "Have you ever zoned out on stage? And if so, how far?" And, you know, there's a story about a drummer. I think it was the drummer for the Wallflowers. I'm not sure. He said he's playing a song and he's like, dude, did I leave the iron on? Son of a bitch. And he's like, they're playing you the giant <laughs> well, that, show. That's exactly yeah. what I'm yeah. talking about. More than actually being conscious of not being conscious, but going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're on stage, is. you're rocking, you're jumping all <laughs> over the place. Thinking about <laughs> like completely crazy shit. Yeah. But also singing. Like when I used to sing, like I would, I could sing the lyrics and be thinking about like. All right, now when I tomorrow I'm gonna go buy some stuff. Let me think what I gotta get. Like, <laughs> yeah. Running to a shopping list and stuff. Yeah, it's fucking so weird, man. Every so often, <laughs> I would like there were a couple times where I would fully screw up, but usually it's because I tried to break back in and become conscious of what I was doing. Yeah, exactly. That's... And then I'd like stumble as soon as I started thinking about it. You Dude, know can you imagine I mean? what it must be like for like Keith Richards playing like you know? Jumping Jack Flash, like, <laughs> right. fuck. how many times has he played in his yeah, life? Yeah, like, like how many years? Seven thousand times. Like, he you must know? be like, he's probably got like a fucking Walkman on, like listening to like books on tape. <laughs> <laughs> right. You know, actually, we did that, and and I don't know why this keeps coming back to Circus Survive already, but like we did that. You know, there's always tour pranks at the end of tour, and Steve. So we got everybody in Circus Survive their own little prank with Anthony. I replaced his first bottle of water where he keeps them with vodka, straight vodka. Then the second one, I mixed in salt to where you couldn't see it. And the third one was sriracha. So he'd think, you know, the first one would be the one that right, was trick. Right, and then right, he'd be like, right. I have to wash it out. And then he'd wash it with salt. And then he'd be like, oh, you got two of my bottles. And the third one was hot sauce, you know, with no actual water for him to like really right. wash it out. But, but That's very well thought out. Frank. But they had their drummer on a click track because they really wanted to get like some really like groovy oh, no, like you, you know so we put in track. took out the click track and put in Gloria Estefan like completely different song <laughs> which is heavily rhythmic you know what I mean so he's in there just trying to play like an exact <laughs> song like it has beats and me I was like 
you know, whatever. Like, and he's just like looking at us, just like, like seriously, just looking at us in the eye, playing the song, being like, "Fuck you, fuck you, fuck you," like not laughing, just like hating us. That's really that good. is funny. It's funny you're talking about Anthony because when he was on the podcast, he talked about you a lot. Really? Yeah. We have a weird like con- connection. Uh, <laughs> That I don't really understand, but every so often something weird will happen. Like, right after we had the bus crash on the Warp Tour, um, he was like, hey, are you doing okay? <laughs> like, I was like, no. <laughs> and that's weird that you should mention that now at 3 in the morning on, uh, you know, a Wednesday or whatever. Oh, this is before it got announced? Yeah, before it got announced. Oh, like, wow. while I was sitting in the field, like, washing horse blood <laughs> off my bag. You know, it was... Uh, yeah, what happened? I, I saw this that everyone was talking about, you know, there's a bus crash and are you okay and- yeah we we hit a, a giant palomino um in i think it was montana just randomly walking across the road no it was uh see this is the thing wild horses and this is what i found out from the police wild horses will stay away from the road they stay like up in the mountains and stuff they don't they don't come near the road they're they're too smart but uh these show ponies were uh not ponies show horses were in you know, just in their gate, whatever. And because there was a thunderstorm rolling in, they all freaked out together and rushed one gate. And the three of them together were able to break through the gate. And one of them made it out to the highway right in front of the bus, reared up at the last second. If we had hit him while he was stand, like standing on all fours, mm-hmm. it probably would have killed our driver and we would have gone off the overpass that was coming up. But our driver saw him, the horse reared up, and he turned into it so that it would hit the passenger side. And then, you know, it was still like a crazy thing. All the windows shattered and, uh, you know, crumpled the staircase in so we couldn't get out of the bus without crowbars and hammers and all kinds of stuff. Um, But the driver lived miraculously where he was throwing up after it because he couldn't believe he was actually alive. He's been a driver for 30 years. He said any of his friends that have ever hit anything that size have died. And, uh, yeah, it was a crazy thing. Who else was on the bus? It was uh, a lot of the people from the Acoustic Basement Tent, which is a new thing mm-hmm. at Warped Tour this year. So it was myself, Brian Marquis, um, Koji, who's great. He's a younger acoustic artist, kind of like in the basement scene with a lot of dispute and Touche Amore and those kind of bands. Um, Owen, who's a reggae guy. And then uh, a, a bunch of production people. It was a production bus primarily. Um, it was there just was- a weird thing where we all woke up and we're like in the aisles, having been thrown out of our bunks, like all together standing there. Totally calm. Like, had just been through this, like, violent crash, and we're just kind of like, okay, um, okay, I guess we should go to the front and see if George is okay. And as soon as we open the door, he's like, stay in the back, there's broken glass everywhere. And it's just, there's horse blood literally everywhere. Like, all over everybody's bags, like, meat, like, horse jerky, like, everywhere. And, you know, it's funny because when I saw that it had been announced that we had, like, hit something... Like halfway down, people are like, nobody got hurt. What about the horse? And I was in the state where I couldn't believe where I was alive and I was covered in horse blade. And I was like, fuck the stupid fucking horse. Like, fuck PETA, fuck everybody. Like, that's just like the mode I was in. I was like, fuck animal lovers. Like, I'm an animal lover. You know what I mean? Like, but I just got into this mindset where I was like, seriously, like, we all should be dead right now. Like, fuck all these people who care about this stupid show horse that's never had a good day in its life because it's somebody's prized possession. It's not a living being anymore. You know what I mean? Like, I was just like, I got really dark, like super, super dark. Um, <laughs> but but no, everybody was okay somehow. Somehow everybody was okay. Like uh, some of us had some weird like um, like irritations from the glass, like kind of glass that I guess they use oh, really? was sort of got some kind of a fiberglassy type yeah. splintery thing. Eesh. So we had like itchy stuff all over us for a few days. Um, but yeah, it was kind of amazing that none of us got but miraculously killed. end of the day, everyone's okay. Yeah, everyone was okay. I think uh there was some weird um like post traumatic stuff though, because uh like you know, afterwards we all ended up on the medics bus for that night. And we'd just be like talking all of a sudden so we would just start crying like out of nowhere and stuff like that. And uh I know that Owen had fallen asleep on the plane ride home and as soon as it hit the ground to land, he like screamed. <laughs> in the plane everybody's like uh you okay <laughs> yeah i mean it's it's it it's hard to separate you know those near-death experiences i've you know never had one thank heavens but uh-huh. uh when you can resign yourself to nobody got hurt we're all okay mm. like that's that's like the mantra you know so that's what i heard when i heard that everybody was okay it's like in a weird way i stopped caring about the, the ifs, ands, and whys. It's everybody's cool. Yeah, yeah. All yeah. right, cool. Yeah, totally. You know, so very thankful that it happened. I want to start with. I want 
here's what I know about you aside from Thursday. Is mm-hmm. anything I've heard from Jonah? Yeah, that's and, good. And a little bit I've gleaned from what when we talked to Tucker. So <laughs> that's not so, as good. No, just kidding. <laughs> so we're gonna we're gonna get all of Thursday in. I want to we're gonna get all of many bands in, but Thursday, like like yeah, very near sure. and dear to us. So okay. Uh, how did you get started and everything? Because I've heard that you at a young age were having shows. Yeah. Like you started having shows. So first, where, you're from Jersey, yes? Yeah. Well, where? yeah, I mean, I was born in Providence. My parents were teaching up there in Providence. They have like this great love story about meeting at Brown and stuff like that at the first co-ed dorm in the country and, and staying up there and eventually getting PhDs in teaching. But then we came to New Jersey when I was very young. So Eventually getting PhDs. That's like a 20-year eventually. I know. Right it takes forever. <laughs> I think. I don't know. <laughs> like, I feel like, yeah, like eventually I'm going to do my laundry. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. That's, uh, yeah, that's eventually to me, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you go to Jersey, and uh, and how'd you get into music? Um, friend, I think this is probably like a lot of uh, only children, like myself. Uh, friends, older sisters, you know what I mean? You think they're they're the coolest, and you kind of have a crush on them, but you don't really realize you have a crush on them, and they're like, have you heard Nine Inch Nails? And you're like, yeah. <laughs> and then you go and buy all the Nine Inch Nails records. And then, uh, yeah, I, that's how it started for me. It was goth music because I had a lot of friends with older goth sisters who were super cute. And yes, they are. They were like, yeah, Bauhaus, The Cure, you know, The Smiths, uh, Nine Inch Nails. That was kind of what started me into music. Um, where, was, in Jer- where in Jersey were you? Uh, North Jersey. It's a uh-huh. small town. It's a square mile called Dumont. Um, so, yeah, very small town. Um and that got me into it. And then when I went away to school, you know, I had a bunch of friends in bands and I had a crummy high school band. But when I went to school, I realized that I wasn't probably ever going to be any good at music. So I just wanted to start doing shows. And I joined the Rutgers like Arts Council or whatever to put on shows and realized the first thing they said at the first meeting, and I remember this too, was that the woman who ran it had gotten Ink and Dagger banned from playing Rutgers because they sucked and they were destructive and they had thrown actual ink all over everybody's nice clothing that they wore to the shows and i was like that's the show that i wanted to yeah <laughs> so i quit the, i quit the rockers uh council and started uh trying to book shows at different clubs and it wasn't really working so i moved out with a bunch of friends who were into hardcore and started doing basement shows the greatest yeah the greatest so i mean we we were um you know, there's Handy Street in New Brunswick, which is Bouncing Souls and Lifetime House. And uh, they were both, you know, starting to really tour all the time and stop doing shows at their house. So it just seemed like the right time for us to start a new punk house. And at the same time, my friend Paul Hanley was doing another house on Hamilton Street. Paul does French Kiss Records now. So he signs a bunch of great bands. Um, what, what years were this? What, what? This would be like 97, 98, 99... I think our last show at the house was in 2000. We got shut down by Rutgers bike cops, like New Brunswick bike cops. Mm. It's this annoying thing. They're everywhere on their bikes in yellow shirts. And they have this little stamp that they can put on any ticket that makes it $1,000 more. And the stamp is quality of life. It's totally subjective. If what you're doing affects the quality of life in the neighborhood, you add $1,000 to the fine. So that's how they shut us down. So can you stamp them? I know, right? <laughs> Who would sort of, like, what were some of the, kind of some standout shows? Like, I just picture, like, Endeavor playing or something. Oh, yeah, Endeavor played all the time. <laughs> like, all the time. And that's actually how I got into Envy, who we eventually would do a split with, was Endeavor had done a split with Envy. When really? Envy was a thrash band. When they had no melodic content, they were just Japanese thrash. Endeavor and Envy split. Wow. <laughs> so that was a long time ago. But Endeavor, uh, Dillinger, um... You know, for the love of uh, God forbid, like all the New Jersey bands would totally play. But uh, we were, my roommates and I were into different stuff. So my roommate Clay was really into straight edge stuff. We would have a lot of straight edge shows and we would have, um, you know, we would have the faster bands and Kid Dynamite and stuff like that would play because of him and Hot Water Music and Leatherface played and air type 11 played and then uh like boy sets fire uh a bunch of other stuff i was into like a lot of the dc bands and so was my roommate lewis so we would book bands like you and not you uh mile marker um 
So, so I want to get the timeline here. So your your family moves. You grew up and they moved to a small town of Dumont. Was there mm-hmm. a college there? Is that why no, they were teaching? Um, or no, they didn't. No, they entered the private sector, and that's why they left. Got uh, Providence. Um, private sector. That sounds so weird. They, yeah, I mean, my dad became a, a patent chemist. For uh, he did like a lot. He worked on a lot of stuff. Mr. Bubble, um, a lot of HTH, that New Jersey pool chlorine. Yeah, and then actually that moved out of New Jersey, and he became a computer programmer for Bloomberg Financial in New York here. And my mom ended up doing some stupid marketing stuff that she always hated um, for like 25 years. And um, so, yeah, that's that's how we ended up in New Jersey. And then I went to state school at Rutgers, and that's how right. I got into New Brunswick and started doing uh, those shows. Um, that, was the, that was the thread I was looking through. Yeah, that's how I got there. And then, yeah, and then, like, I just, you know, I had gotten into hardcore in high school, and so, like orientation i just went around looking for like any kids that had patches on their bags and like would make friends with them and so it was like lewis who became one of my roommates had like a 108 patch clay with like maybe like an h2o shirt or something you know it's just like one of those things and then eventually at the house where we did shows tom from a band called you and i moved in and i did the last you and i show in my basement and that was crazy it was like you and i seisha it was like all these amazing bands played and that really informed a lot of what I got into from there. You know, um, his next band, The Assistant, would always play band, uh, play with, you know, uh, the Orchid bands and stuff like that, like um, Usurp Synapse and, um, you know, all kind of, all kind of the post-Orchid bands. And, and Reversal of Man and Combat Wounded Veteran played the basement. Actually, Reversal of Man broke up in, the, in my basement, and that was a crazy thing. They were all screaming at each other and stuff, mostly screaming at one of my roommates. Um, and so that really, like, I really got into the abolition stuff around that time. And we're going to have to have an appendix to this episode. <laughs> yeah, right. Footnotes. <laughs> yeah, we're getting deep. Yeah. This is, this is the no, kind no, of no, conversation no. Is... Jonah and I have this when my perfect. wife goes, and I'm out. And I'm yeah, out. yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> somewhere else. Yeah. I do not want to hear. She's like left lunches. Like, I don't want to hear you two nerds talk about bands. I have no idea right. what the fuck you're talking about. <laughs> Going off track is actually <laughs> turning off podcasts now. Uh... <laughs> no, what? No, there's going to be, a, you know, uh, for, for you kids out there listening, um, you should be writing down feverishly all of these yeah. bands. Check yeah. out Gravity Records. Yeah, Gravity Records. Um, for me, it was also big time. It was le- level what would be come level plane those bands um um who else who else is in there uh ebullition like i said was a big record label for me uh obviously discord like q and not you coming down and playing that was like a big thing you know and then we went and, and then it was sort of the thing that like from there we just i had some friends that were like it'd be great these basement shows are great we should play one sometime like we should come up with something and I remember meeting Tom from Thursday at an Ink and Dagger show at the Melody Bar and just watching them just kind of destroy it, like everything in their path. It was just so chaotic and crazy. And I remember him saying, like, you know, they're like one of the few bands out there that have that sense of danger and fun. And and so I wanted to get him into the kind of some of these other bands like Seisha and You and I and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, we started listening to that stuff. And in our minds, that was the kind of band we were starting. You know, that's what Thursday was going to be. It was going to be this kind of like chaotic weird artsy postmodern political what we called hardcore band but which people joked around and called like screamo you know um you guys kind of you you went beyond that i mean that's that's a shame that that label got attributed and certain bands subscribed to it and certain bands became that on purpose but i remember saying this to tucker when he was there when he was here all of a sudden there was thursday that's how i felt and it was this huge band that just like seemed to appear with a loaded fan base and how fast do you think thursday's rise was did it seem like a slow burn from yeah i mean inception? To us, it seemed like a slow burn we you know we spent a year just playing basement vfw halls around new jersey and around dc we'd go play the wilson youth center we'd go up to you know boston stuff like that you play st stephen's in dc st. no stephen's church no never played there but we'd go and play like kill time and stalag yeah. and stuff like that in philly mm-hmm. and um so that was just like a year, and then we spent a year touring just all the band's local basements that had come through and supported. Because whenever we would have a big band through, I'd make sure and route through a few other just really unknown bands that were on tour so that they would have a show to play where they'd actually have people there. And I'd have seven bands on like every bill, and it would be all donations and... I would just try and be fair, and if I didn't, if nobody came, I would cover it out of my pocket, you know. Um, How did you get the dough? I, 
<laughs> this is actually really funny. I I had a course at Rutgers where I was in an honors program that made it so you didn't have to have a major. Uh, yeah, not not a major. You didn't have to have any core curriculum. You just picked your major and started working on it. And anything that you thought was interesting, you took. And so I had all these great classes about postmodern literature. And my favorite one was Poetry, Dance, and the Body. And my professor for that wrote porn on the side. And he hooked me up with like Penthouse Letters and Hustler. And I would write smut uh, after hours for a ton of money. It was paid so well. And it was mostly letters from the point of view of women like who are writing into penthouse forums about the dirty encounters that they had that week. And he just hooked me up doing it. And, you know, it's like I was writing so much at the time for class that it was so easy to adopt the voice of the other letters columns and just make up some stupid story some never in a million years would you believe it story about wild sex in a bathroom and it was great i made a ton of money doing it and i was able to pay the bands out of it you funded the hardcore scene <laughs> in new Brunswick for a couple of years yeah by writing porn yeah, by writing porn. This is a story that people have only dreamed of. Yeah. Well, you know, the funny thing is at the time, uh, Joanna, who would later go on to form Burning Angel and become a famous porn star in her own right, uh, was playing in her goth bands with like Chelsea haircuts and the basement shows. Like her her like local goth band would play and they'd bring out people and stuff and I'd put touring bands on that show. And so it's funny to me like how weirdly DIY punk hardcore scenes and porn had weird like associations then and the porn thing i always hid like i never told anybody that i was doing that because it was embarrassing and i thought it was like anti-feminist and horrible but i really also needed to make a living at the time and you know get through college and (laughs) do set up some money to tour with and uh (laughs) so (laughs) it was just a weird thing that i was doing but, uh, I think that's great. That's inventive and smart, and you and you put it towards you know something cool. You put something out there. Yeah. And as as you know, a supporter of porn myself, well done. <laughs> Thank you. Did you ever have a band come through carrying a penthouse that had one of your letters in it? <laughs> no, I wish I did. I mean, you have to think this is the '90s punk scene. It's not now. Like nobody would like openly talk about sex in right. in DIY punk. Like you know, what I mean, it was just such a like repressed PC time where. I, I mean, that's to me, that's my, like, a lot of that stuff is in my heart, like the political activism that was still such a part of punk and actually just giving a shit about things that matter and modes of, of, uh, of how you're doing what you're doing, things like that. Like, those things really seemed to matter back then. And I appreciated that side, but it was also so uptight, so repressed. <laughs> Couldn't even make a joke without somebody getting offended. You know what I mean? Um, so you did play DC a lot. This sounds like every show I went to. <laughs> oh, New Brunswick was just as bad in DC, as DC. I remember just feeling it was the same exact People environment. People didn't move at shows in DC. You'd stand there, and, and it wasn't... I remember being at a Fugazi show and, and just jumping up and down, and I'm like, my... Nobody else is going to... Tisk tisk. Yeah. <laughs> and then Bikini Kill came out and played. And there was a guy next to me jumping up and down. It was Brendan Canty. And I was like, well, fuck everyone then. Yeah. He can do it. We're fine. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it was that's, that's very interesting. It's it, Thinking about like the 90s punk scene is a lot of standstill, arms crossed, nodding your head, going up to the band. That was one of the best shows I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Why didn't you act like it? And the band's dude? on stage like ripping it up, yeah. going yeah. crazy. Tearing it up. Yeah. Move. But they didn't want you to move. You know, I mean, it's so interesting. The thing that I find really like the most interesting about the evolution of especially underground and DIY hardcore, and I'll just call it hardcore because to me, when I grew up, hardcore was everything. Like Mm -hmm. you could be Fugazi, Bikini Kill, Rainer Maria, whatever, and you were part of the hardcore scene. You know what I mean? That's just where you were. You were part of that. Please show um, some respect for Floor Punch, dude. (laughs) (laughs) I know. I know. Yo, that's not hardcore, yo. Uh, now I'm going to get beat up. <laughs> as soon as I said that, I was like, can I say that? I I can say it. I don't you can know. totally say it. Floor Punch was a hardcore band, and they wanted only hardcore to be called hardcore. Yes. And I had a, a different opinion of what hardcore was. It was like everything DIY. You know what I mean? It was That was what it Meanwhile, was Meanwhile, Bad Brains, from their mouths, hated the term hardcore. Right. You know, they hated that. They were like, because I interviewed them, and they said, that was pornography. 
Right. We don't want to be associated with that. That's, <laughs> that's what hilarious. porn was. That's hardcore us meant porn. Right. No. Right. You know. <laughs> right. That's hilarious. I love that. Like every and it's funny because then later somebody will come back and embrace the term. You know, like kids are like defend pop punk, you know, man overboard or like saying, like, no, that's cool. Pop punk emo, they're cool things. Like mm-hmm. like look at the crap that's out now. That was the good old days. And you're like, Whoa. I never wanted to be called any of those things. And now like you love us because you consider us that. You know, doesn't uh, punk mean prison bitch? Really? If you want to go back, yeah, right? Yeah. Sure. There you go. See, you got to take it back. <laughs> but no, I, I guess I have no idea what I was talking about. Sorry. But, oh yeah, yeah. There's the whole movement. I think like of punk and underground, like DIY stuff. It's it's so reactionary. You know what I mean? You have you have hardcore get really tough in New York for like the early '90s, right? Bands like Sick of It All, great bands. You know what I mean? Bands that I love. But it was so violent that there was a counter movement to that, which was don't move at shows. Like, stand there. Like, be a part of something intellectual. You know what I mean? And then there was, like, a counter to that. You know what I mean? Then Hatebreed came out of that. And then, like, you know, it's like, it's constantly going in these cycles and these reactions to each other. And now it's like everything that you're into is, like, fourth or fifth wave. You know what I mean? It's like fifth wave tough guy. Sixth wave revival (laughs) screamo. Like, you know what I mean? It's like... (laughs) <laughs> yeah. isn't, isn't it hard and i'm at this point point now or at least I, I guess i've been at it but now i'm really embracing it that i hate listening to new music because i go oh yeah this sounds like that song i heard years ago almost exactly but it's new to somebody so it's cool to them but i, I think about this a lot like is there yeah. somebody is there a young jeff rickley now doing a house show like in in new jersey having you know basement bands come through and this is their moment like this totally. is this is their thing totally they haven't been on the planet as long so it's all fresh and it's all new and it's all cool and years earlier like was you know when i was going to shows like that in college you know i'm living in virginia no before that and you know as my friends who were much cooler than me in high school were going to fugazi shows and going to see token entry and things mm-hmm. like that who were coming through and it's it's their moment and then you get older and you're like oh well those like like you just said those were the good old days right someone's having their good old days right now totally so, <laughs> you know. and yeah i mean that's the thing is like you know being on warp tour this summer doing solo stuff like i saw so many young kids and realizing that the old like who's taking the place of bad religion right now is taking back sunday which made me feel super old. You know, and I was like, because they're younger than us. Like their landmark album came out a year after ours. So it's like, okay, they're the old guys. <laughs> I still feel like we're a semi-new band like Thursday, but I guess I'm wrong. And it's like newfound glory is like the old school oh, band. Dude, they were totally old school. Which like is so insane to covering me. Green Day being the old school band is such a weird thing to me. And yeah. that's like no diss to anybody involved, Green right, Day right. or Newfound. It's just it just makes me, it made me feel really, really old. It's got to be weird for every, I mean, it's got to be weird for those guys too, for sure. Yeah. And then to see like bands like Title Fight be like the cool young new guys, like which I totally respected and loved, like, cause I actually find them really engaging. But a band like Transit, who's like emo revival, a band like Man Overboard, who's like pop punk revival, who are like, yeah, saves the day or gods. Like, you know, and I'm like, whoa, like I remember thinking Saves the Day were like the revival lifetime band. Mm-hmm. You know, but it's totally. so it's so far in the past. And I tried to go at it with a really just open eyes to everything and just appreciate it for what's well, going on. Well, then who the fuck is the revival jawbreaker band? Why the hell hasn't that happened so I can hear them? <laughs> There's gotta be. Oh, wait. There's yeah, it gotta is. be you, a bunch. You, no, you sent it to me. Who's that band? There's Polar Bear Club is kind of doing a little bit of that. God, I love There's, that band. Yeah. They remind me of um, like Thursday's more hardcore stuff. Really? Polar Bear does. Yeah. Cool. Especially their live really, show. I dig yeah, them a lot. I really like them. I watch them like I watch them every chance I got on Warped Tour this summer. And like that's the thing. You could actually skip back and forth and find a good band on almost every time of the day. Mm-hmm. I mean there were ten I'll say questionable and be generous bands that were playing at the same time. Um or at least bands that I'm too old to understand. Like I I will put it out there that maybe I just don't get it. Because there are a lot of kids that do get it. And why even, is Broken Side back on the tour? No, <laughs> but I will say that there are probably some second wave Broken Side type bands on the tour. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So Broken Side's like an OG. <laughs> Innovator. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They were the original crunk core or whatever they're called. Doesn't it hurt to say that? It sentence? does, dude. It's the worst. <laughs> you know, Jeff was uh, in like their promotional materials because he like talked shit about them and their one sheet was just people making fun of them. Oh, that I respect. I actually think that's awesome. Yeah. There's yeah. a part of me that wonders, I like, I actually kind of feel like, uh, even though I still think it's terrible just listening to it, it reminds me of things that are all terrible. Mm-hmm. 
there's a part of me that thinks like I'm probably missing something and there's actually something cool about this. Like it's so different and new and weird and even though I think it's horrible, like the kids are doing something new at least. But mm-hmm. do you think those guys are really do you think they really think that what they're doing is good or do you think it's like Ann Coulter where it's like you're saying something but I don't think you, don't you believe really believe it. it. I think this is like just a way to get people talking about you. You think they're Andy Kaufmaning us all I don't like know. I don't think they are. I feel like that's giving maybe giving them too much credit. <laughs> yeah. I feel like all of us <laughs> but, here in our Brooklyn studio are believing that there's like levels to irony to everything and it makes it okay because they're pulling one over on like Yeah, no. I feel like the fact that <laughs> no. I even have these thoughts like geez, like weird <laughs> Jonah's in his 30s and single, like, content, like just, like, sitting at home being like, I wonder if Broken Side are, like, actually geniuses. And I'm, just, it's an art I'm like, yeah, I just haven't tapped into it. It's this total performance thing. And, like, I'm going to look for clues. And, like, you know what I mean? Like, it, and it's one of those things, once you start looking for those clues, they're always there. Like, Illuminati own everything. Totally, you know totally, I mean? totally. And then they did that interview with Damien from Fucked Up where, like, he was, like, kind of, like... Into them. Into them. And I was like... Me. But that's Damien being, like post meta right you know what right I mean? like, right that's not them right <laughs> yeah that's just him having a guilty pleasure for kicks and that's sometimes what you have to just reside in yourself that's what you're saying so you're not going to find levels of of um of a uh, planned genius and everything you know not everyone yeah. can be bob dylan and not yeah. everyone should be not and everyone should be speaking of not being bob dylan maybe we should just the elephant in the room uh-huh you signed my band yeah and we said i think we sold a negative amount of records uh <laughs> <laughs> no, I think you guys had some respectable numbers the first week. <laughs> I don't even know what that. I don't no, know. I think it was. You signed the Love Kill to which label? Eyeball. Eyeball. No. Yes. no. Astro, Astro Magnetics and Eyeball. <laughs> I, th- I think <laughs> yeah, both logo. Did, I think it was Astro both. technically. Um, what about know. Love Kill appealed you to go? Yes, this band. They were awesome. They said they reminded me of Ignition. Actually, going back to like oh. old bands, they reminded me of like Ignition and Rites of Spring, and um, I just thought they were awesome. And I. Jonah, I thought Jonah was an incredible guitar player. <clears throat> but anyway, um, yeah, no, I just thought they were great. And I thought there were some great songs that they were writing. And they had a good energy live more than anything. That's what I really liked was the energy live. And, you know, that was the thing about Astromagnetics is we signed a ton of great bands, put out a ton of great records, and none of them did anything. None of them sold anything. Like, I remember punk news for, like, three months. Every time we would sign a band, we'd be like, holy crap, Jeff keeps on signing great bands. Like, what's going on? Like, between you guys, Valley Arena, Blackout Pact. Blackout Pact. Yeah. Um, there's somebody else really great, too. Um, I'm blanking now. But, like, we had, like, we were, like, on a kick of just signing great stuff. Brad, how old are you feeling right now? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is, like, the same conversation we had with Ryder. Like, when... He, we were talking about like Vox and like yeah. places and all those bands on Volcom and I was like all these great bands on Slave and like no one really I feel like that happens so often it's, it's such a bummer you know I think part of it too was like the first band that we really had that was going to do something like Blackout Pact were going to go somewhere they For were sure. like on their way mm-hmm. they fell apart like they were just heavy alcoholics and just kind Wait, of what was like the band name? The Blackout Pact <laughs> exactly. This is like the kind of band where like Really nice guys. Oh, I saw them. Yeah. Everyone was like, don't let them stay at your apartment. Don't let them stay. <laughs> like, they'll steal from you. Yeah, they'll they'll steal like from drink you. all their shit and black out and like, yeah. sleep with your girlfriend and like roll out of town in jail. And like, we spent like most of their marketing budget on bail money. Oh. And it was just such a shame because they were so good. And like, other bands were picking up on them. They got like a Rise Against tour that they got kicked off of because somebody stole something from one of the other bands. It was nice. just like, if they had gone where they could have gone and like taken off, then they would have been the first band off the label and it would have been like dominoes. Like, I know it would have been because we actually had good other releases to back it up. You know what I mean? But it didn't and it was just a nightmare. And the deal that we had it signed, our business partners and stuff, it just wasn't working. Well, it, this, is, this is what I'm, I'm thrilled that we're learning about you because like, Thursday is a given, right? Thursday, right. Thursday was, you know, essential... It's a great band, has a great story, and, and we'll, we'll touch on the, the ups and the downs of the, 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 the label, the switch, the re, you know, going back to indie. But everything you've done has involved giving back, you know, to something that you really, you really love. And I remember growing up, period, that's the end of my sentence. Uh, I, <laughs> I remember, remember growing up. Uh, the Springsteen I, song. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Excellent. Yeah, yeah. Well done. Is that Nebraska? Um, Listen, see, now we've really gone not, off track. This not is going to kill us. Jonah's clutch. He'll just uh, come through with it. It's, I think it's greetings. 
Is it? Whoa. It is grating. Deep. You're right. Deep okay. in the back headlight. I'm not even from Jersey. But yeah. going, hey, man. <laughs> hey, man, I know integrity. Yeah. I'm not from Cleveland. Uh. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> well done. But it's, it's you know, growing up, like, there was very, it was, there was a consciousness to, to a scene. And, I right. mean, I grew up outside of D.C., so we all know about that. The most it, conscious. Yeah. Like, that was, that was, you would go to a show and it was, you know, it's, it's vegan outreach. You know, it was everywhere. And, and it was, you know, you can buy these cookies over here. You know, it was all over the joint. But <coughs> this is, I mean, you truly embody the lifestyle from what you're doing. From going from, going from putting on shows, you're like, well, now I'm going to do a label. Was Thursday happening when you started the label? Yeah, it was. You're right. I'm sorry, you got me with the vegan outreach, and now I'm like choking. <coughs> I'm choking on my vegan water. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, I mean, this is the thing, and and you know, I think that most, you know, Thursday certainly has equal amount of detractors as it does as followers, and and we're always looked at by the detractors as like some like Johnny Come Lately, who were just rolling through, blowing up, and, and leaving town, and and you know, we weren't. You know, we were really involved uh, throughout our career on uh, in a lot of different ways. But to me, that wasn't like a badge of honor. It was just it was why we started the band. We wanted to be involved. It's why I started doing shows like I wanted to be a part of the community. You know, it's because I'm an only child and I just wanted to be around cool stuff. You know, I wanted to be around cool people. I wanted to have friends. I wanted to make stuff. I wanted to be a part of things. And so every time I saw something cool, I was like, well, I, I want to get involved in that, you know, and uh and for me, it was like when we first started touring before anybody cared about us, we played with a band called Little Joe Gould in an anarchist bookstore in Bloomington, Indiana. And the band would go on. I pestered them to put out a record on Eyeball for years. <coughs> the band became Murder by Death and got to put out their records. Um, Gerard, Gerard Way was a, a kid who came to a bunch of Thursday shows. Comic book artist. Amazing comic book artist. And I was like, great we're gonna make comics together he was like awesome i was like i'll write him you draw him this is gonna be awesome we're gonna collaborate you talked about it forever and then of course he's like so dude i can't do a comic book right now here's my band's demo and i was like oh bait and switch like you bastard motherfucker and he's like well the band's called my chemical romance i was like well that's a cool name like that is a good name my (laughs) like if you didn't know the band already you'd just be like cool name like my chemical romance yeah and uh so i ended up producing that record and came out on eyeball and um yeah and then it was astromagnetics with the blackout pact and love kills and stuff like that and and then you know more lately now uh last uh last year two years ago i put out a band called midnight masses from brooklyn who are great members of trail of dead and tv on the radio and i put out a little hardcore band from la that nobody had ever heard of called touche amore and i just i just love doing this stuff and i've had a, an amazing luck to do really great with a bunch of bands who from tv on the radio is in midnight masses <clears throat> it was jerry actually really yeah so right um so that's you know my friend my friend's their manager oh so, awesome yeah so yeah, yeah. and I've, yeah, I've, i mean I've a lot of them were band. involved in it jaleel was uh, a part of it uh you know some of them uh, Jerry recorded the EP. I don't know. I mean, it's like, you know how it is in, yeah. in, in Brooklyn. It's like everybody's friends and you never know who's on what recording or doing what. And uh, Apparently all of you. Yeah. Yeah, we're all on everything. But uh, yeah, and, you know, the thing is, is for every record that's that's done really great and become a part of like, everybody loves Murder by Death. You know what I mean? Every, everybody certainly knows, even if they don't love My Chemical Romance, had a giant cultural impact, you know. For every one of those bands, there are like seven that were so great and that nobody ever heard. And it's not that I tried any less. It's just like, you never know what's going to work. You know what I mean? And also to the things that people accept the singer of Thursday trying to get made, you know what I mean? It's like people accepted a great young hardcore band Touche Amore. People didn't know what to make of me pushing this weird, like soul revival band that has members of TV on the radio and trail of dead you know so it's like i think i sold 70 copies of it i printed so many got it mastered did all this stuff for them and sold like nothing and the record is incredible you know but uh it's, it's very it's it's such a hard a hard biz in the process of doing thursday tell us about this project that full disclosure jonah's in united right. nations right yeah united nations uh yeah, it kind of changed throughout the years, but it was something that Daryl and I talked about for years, Daryl from Glassjaw, um, and I had this idea of doing like 
a kind of uh, orchid meets reversal man meets like early gravity records it was supposed to be really spazzy and weird and then uh we convinced ben from converge to be a part of it and then it kind of changed a little because it was like playing to his strengths so it was a little more martial it was a little more aggressive and uh, i mean those bands that we mentioned are already super aggressive but ben is like a disgusting monster behind the drums like you know he just can't he can't do any wrong behind the kit as far as I'm concerned. And so he got involved and then it started to look like it was going to be a nightmare. Um, yeah, actually Jonah, Jonah was involved first. We had a few other people involved. Uh, our friend Cree who played in a band called number 12 looks like you. We, we jammed with a few times, just great guy. And then our friend JJ who actually passed away not too long ago. Um, he was in the first part of it, but then, uh, then when Ben got involved, it really sort of, I think it, that's when it really became like a band. We started going to the studio and just recording. We would write in the studio and record like, okay, song's done. Let's record it. Um, sometimes even like, yeah, that middle part, you have a cool drum part. We don't have guitars yet for it. Just, just go. go. Yeah. I forgot about that. Yeah. Yeah. The first record, we would just go to big blue mini studios and just mess around and then we'd be like, all right, we're ready now. And we'd just record it. That was yeah. That was how the first one got. Written. And were you playing? Were you playing, John? Were you playing all the guitar? Because I saw you play once in the no, basement. No, I was playing guitar. Playing guitar. I was playing guitar yes, too. that's yeah. what I thought. That's how it started. Yeah. Um, and how, we played a couple shows that way. How the fuck <laughs> do you, who have this incredible voice, like you have a voice, like I told this to Anthony Green, and you fit the same quality of your singing, is that there? When you hear your voice, you go, oh, that's Jeff Rickley. Yeah, everybody and it, knows. And it, 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 it's, there are other people who are great singers. They have beautiful voices. You have that, and it's yours. It's, it's, hard, to, it's hard to express. Mm. It's, like, it's like Ozzy Osbourne. You know, mm. I'm going to use that comparison. When you hear Ozzy, you hear Rob Halford, you know that's them. When I hear you, I know that's you specifically. Mm. If I hear another singer from a pop band or whatever, I can cookie cut out Katy Perry and Beyonce. They're great voices, but you know, they could sing. You have your own style. With United Nations, how the balls do you go from that <laughs> yeah. to that screech and scream and not have nodes growing out of your ears? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> um, tea? <laughs> no, no tea. I, I Turmeric? You know what I actually realized is the more I worried about it, the more it, it would uh, it would disappear. My voice would get all scratchy and crazy and I'd drink too much water. And I think it just like basically would just get too more irritated. Like everything happening would just irritate it more. I don't know if this is good advice for anybody, but I just like the more I could relax and just be like, it's going to be fine, the more it would be. I mean, still, sometimes like when we play with UN, if I try and speak between songs, my voice is just like by the end, I'm like, <laughs> people are like, what do you say? Like, is, no, no, just come up and say, I don't want to buy a t shirt. Is it literally that? you know typical story of you know your vocal cords are a muscle you learn how to use them is that no not for me no <laughs> um i've learned how to sing but i didn't i still don't know how to scream properly um i actually to me <laughs> this is gonna sound like totally wanky but to me like the idea of learning how to scream properly is like not why i want to scream in a band like, i'm not trying to intimidate people i'm not trying to be heavy or brutal it's like to me like you scream in a band because you're shouting about something you're pissed off and like it's got to be real it's got to be like actually screaming like you would scream if somebody was in your face like you know what i mean like that's to me is it's sort of just you know and scream too loud into a microphone that's not compressed for screaming like that sounds good too you know what i mean <laughs> it should be like all blown out and wrong yeah and uh, i back that that's very that's very punk so i just yeah i mean actually like you know even though we loved like, I think, you know, musically, there's a lot of, like, old Seisha and stuff like that in the music. Aesthetically, I wanted it to be something exciting and different. And I wanted it to harken back more to, like, a Dead Kennedys era, like, thing. You know, I wanted it to be, like, this absurd political protest in an age when people don't even care at all about politics. You know what I mean? For the most part, it's like, the Occupy stuff has been very exciting and strange and different and sort of new for our generation, I feel like. But in general, it's like, nobody cares. Nobody has any, like... You know, if you're if you're not smart and you sit in front of your TV all day, you just don't care and you don't know about it. And if you are smart, you're like too sophisticated to care about it or something. You know what I mean? It's like some ironic like distancing from like that's not my life. I don't care. So I just really wanted it to be like sort of fetishizing that like political protest punk. Well, that makes sense with the Reagan mask. Yeah, 
so we did all the Reagan masks. And that was also because there were so many members from different labels. And I think Thursday may have been still under major label contract or something. I can't remember exactly what it is, but there are so many different labels. And then the way you put the artwork together, which I'm pretty sure you did on purpose just to stress Jonah out. Mm. So you would come. You remember? The, the, oh no, I'm sorry. I'm thinking of the MySpace thing with the the cease and desist. Remember mm-hmm. you being like, you came to work confused and went, "Yeah, this is weird, man." The United Nations just sent a cease and desist well, to us because I was yeah. like, everyone's like, "Check it out, we're on the front page of MySpace," and like everyone was like so psyched, and everyone's like, "I'm like, and now our website, everything's gone." You know what's crazy is we had the most popular MySpace front page of any band, like. More than Snoop Dogg, which was, I think, 9 million listens the first oh. week. We had 11 million listens. Yeah, it was crazy. Which was ultimately followed immediately by cease and desists everywhere. Our records being taken out of stores. like So it should have been this huge record, actually. like Not because people liked it, but just because people were like, what the fuck is this? You know, like these dudes wearing Reagan masks. I've heard it's a bunch of different people from different bands. And there were so many rumors about a million people who weren't in the band. And it's like... The cover of the record is the Beatles on fire from this anarchist artist from the UK who's spent time in jail because he's such a crazy anarchist artist. He got a grant from the government for a million pounds and burned on the steps of parliament. Like, he's just <laughs> Jesus, crazy. Really? So this is the guy that did the art for the record and who was like, you have to say you stole it. And I was like, why? He's like, because I'm breaking all these copyright laws. I get away with it for now because it's fine art. He's like, but if you put it in front of like something you're selling... Your responsibility. I didn't do this. And I was like, that is okay. So awesome. Yeah, there's a guy that doesn't want to go back to jail. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, so we did it and said that we stole it from him. And then the great thing is we never copyrighted or did anything. So we, the cease and desist came to everybody but us. So we totally got out of it. Like <laughs> all our partners weren't allowed to promote the record. Right. But nobody knew who it was. And it wasn't me, actually, for the record. It was not me or Jonah. We didn't have anything to do with those nothing records. Nothing to do with it. Legally. <laughs> I'm saying this. Nothing to do. I don't even like those records. Anyway, getting back on track. Uh, and then the next 7-inch that we did, it was quite a change in lineup. Um, Lucas came in and started playing guitar. Bass first, and then guitar. Lucas started on bass. Started on bass, but by the time we were recording the 7-inch... Uh, Joan and Lucas were writing all the guitars and I just stuck to screaming and that made it way better I think like we really be, I think the 7 inch just kills the full length the 7 inch is so great um, if you're into that kind of thing if you don't like that kind of music it just sounds like noise I have so many friends who are like yeah that's yeah I'm never listening to that sorry but uh, but yeah no and, and then we were able to get a really great um, street artist from Melbourne Australia uh, who doesn't do that kind of stuff except that he worships the artist who did the first LP so he was like, oh, he did it. Okay, I'll do the seven inch. And it was a lot more crazy copyright bashing stuff. So it's just been fun. It's been like an art project slash fun hangout session, you know. And Sounds like you're just raking in the bucks over it, too. <laughs> I have, you know, I have. I found a giant duffel bag of merch. I was just going to say, I have like, I have the seven inches really? where I'm living now. Like, I was scared to put them into storage. Yeah. And I thought we would need them at some point. So yeah. I have like 150 seven inches. We should probably play some shows when we finish the new seven inch because we have, literally, I can't pick up the duffel bag of t-shirts. I'm really? trying to figure out where to store it. It was in Jim's room. Okay. So now I'm like, where do I put these? I have no room. Yeah. Um, I guess we have to go on tour at some point. Yeah. Tour. Oh. <laughs> Play basement shows. Tour of basement shows. Yeah, tour of basement shows. That yeah. would be perfect, actually. Uh, it would be remiss of us to to not discuss Thursday. Probably. And, and the uh, although I kind of like not discussing it. Thursday. Oh yeah, <laughs> I kind of dig it. So I just want to. Okay, this this will this is how we'll do it. Um, uh, the last Thursday record. Yeah. Was so good. Thanks, man. Yeah. And when Jonah told me that you wrote and recorded it in like seven days yeah. or something. I immediately said that record's going to be amazing. Because <laughs> yeah. I find that whenever an artist says, like, oh, we just did that really quick, that usually ends up being, like, the be-all, right. you know? I think that's what our producer was thinking, because we called him to reschedule. And he's like, nope, won't do it. And we are like, what do you mean? He's like, I have other time I could give you, but I'm not doing it. If you don't do it this week, I don't know if I want to do the record with you. And we're like, but we don't have songs. We have two songs written. And he's like, great. <laughs> this is going to be awesome. He's like, you know what? You guys are so fantastic. Such an amazing band. He's like, the most together band I work with, the most prepared, the most like, you have your thing down. He's like, I want you to not have your thing down so much. He's like, I want you to not be so prepared. I don't want you to have thought about all the reasons why parts are bad and taken out all the parts that would have been really fun because they were bad. It's like, you guys are too good, like too professional. 
It's not fun. It's who's, not punk. Who is the producer? Dave Fridman's the producer. He does like the Flaming Lips and MGMT yeah. and Mercury Rev. He did the last Leader Kinney record. Um, he's great. I love him. But he was like so excited about forcing us to come in and follow our instincts instead of overthinking everything. He was totally right. But I was like, oh, man, Dave's going to be the death of us. Everybody already hates all of Dave's records that he's done for us. Like, you know, I mean, I love them because I love Dave and I love his weirdness, but he was totally right. And, he, you know, we would write a song in the morning and by nightfall it would be done and ready to be mixed. Like they would give me a copy of the song around lunch and I would start writing lyrics. And it just so happened that I was going through like a really rough time in my life where the lyrics were just coming. And it just like it just kind of worked out in this magic way where I definitely think that I know Full Collapse is the most important record we put out, but I think Note Evolutions at least is good a record and the one that I'm probably the most proud of. Really, really love that one. So I'm glad you like it too. <laughs> do you do you feel that that's almost poetic that like that's the one you're most proud of, and now the band's no more? Totally. Yeah. I mean. Uh, there's a lot of really great stuff on the record before common existence that I love, but, um, I would have been super bummed if we went out on that note. Cause it didn't feel, it didn't feel like we nailed everything we were going for, you know, and note evolution. I know we did. And the last song on the record is called stay true. And it's like a letter to a younger band who's going to go through all the same stupid shit that we did where we sold out and did all the stupid shit and made a million mistakes. Like, you know, when I say sold out, it's just like, yeah, we, we did a bunch of things that we didn't mean to do and we were too stupid at the time to realize what we were doing when we were doing them. So it's kind of like a letter saying like, you know what, you're going to make all those mistakes. Just try and keep it like what you wanted it to be in the beginning. Just remember what you loved. Remember why you play music. Even when you make the mistakes and everybody's already saying you're a sellout, just be true to yourself. Try, you know? And I love that being like the way that we go out is with the stage or like a 12 minute song or whatever. That's, or eight minutes on. I don't know how long it is. We recorded every day. We would record that song one take, and uh, we ended up using the version of it we liked the best. It was all improv, like all you don't call it improv. What do you call it? What do you call it when you play stuff? Like I don't improvised? know. Improvised. Improvised. Yeah. yeah. Improv. Improv is comedy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you know that comedy track on our record. <laughs> um, <laughs> hey, what's up, Steve? <laughs> It's it, there are a few bands that I remember when we did the the rock show on Fuse that I would do anything for, and Thursday is at the top of the list. Yeah, and, and Bouncing Soul is another one. Not, oddly enough, another Jersey band. <laughs> Thursday, I think, is a band that like ten years from now, twenty years from now, people are gonna listen back and be like, I think they all. It takes a while to get it. Like I feel like with every record, like sometimes people would pan it, and then five years later they were like, "That's a record I like." Like I feel like those guys were really ahead and sort of. There's a lot of people that would like them that maybe thought they were something different that never gave it a chance. But I feel like it'll all come around for those dudes because those records are so brilliant. And they made it to a point, you know, they were selling out Roseland and doing great tours. And when they did their farewell tour as Tucker, the drummer from Thursday was here as well, told us that people were freaking out, you know, like fans were bummed. (laughs) <laughs> yeah i mean i it was such a constant for me personally it was such a big part of my life that band and such a constant thing where you're like i know at least once or twice a year like i'll go see thursday they'll play all these songs i love like we'll hang out like it became kind of like this thing and then when it ended it was sort of like wait like what do i do now <laughs> and then you're in a band with jeff and then i'm in a band with jeff so which is also totally mind-blowing it's very surreal yeah he, he couldn't be he's he's always been super cool and so nice and and i love we i think we're gonna have to have him back i know we should have him back i kind of want him to be the the paul schaefer of our live shows i think he would do it you know ted leo does it for julie klausner's live yes, shows yes. i think we should have jeff from thursday it's a good idea because he's also uh very unexpected when he talks because you'll say something and you're like well this could go like a, an obvious way and he'll just throw some zinger out there that's hilarious yeah it's like i dig it i think i should mention that to him maybe i already have <laughs> i think you just did oh crap uh facebook.com slash going off track is where you can find us on the facebook whose stock is plummeting uh at going off track that's our twitter please follow us and uh, if you follow the rest of us on twitter you can find out our twitter handles from going off track.com our amazing website I want to thank parsley and sprouts for designing it for us and um what and else jeffrey rickley on twitter 
Oh, yeah, he's all on of his solo stuff. And, uh, and he's releasing it all for free, which I love. And check out unitedfuckingnations.com. Is that really what it's called? Yeah. <laughs> well, all right then. Facebook, MySpace, everything got pulled down, but that, that site still exists. <laughs> I don't know when it's last been updated. But... You fooled all the people of authority with fucking in the middle. Well, it's obviously not United Nations. It's United Fucking Nations. Yeah. <laughs> we don't need to go after them. Snicker, snicker, snicker. Right on. Uh, we'll hear you guys in a week. I did it again. What? I said, we'll hear you. They hear us. You'll hear us. We'll hear you. In their ear holes. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.